Thank you for listening to the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm Molly Gamble, Vice President Editorial, and excited today to spend some time with my guest, Deneen Richmond. Deneen currently serves as President of Luminous Health Doctors Community Medical Center and serves as Chief Quality and Population Health Officer of the nonprofit Luminous Health System, which is based in Annapolis, Maryland. Deneen, welcome, and thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you, Molly. I'm so grateful to be talking with you today and your audience. I shared a very brief bio and introduction for you, Deneen. I wanted to give you the opportunity to take a moment to share a bit more about yourself, your background, and your organization with our listeners. Sure, happy to do that. So I have been in healthcare for over 30 years, and I will tell you, every year has been very different. I actually started out and and still consider myself to be a registered nurse. I may not be the person you want taking care of people, but you never lose that connection um, when you when you have that type of background. And I would say it serves me well in my roles that I'm in today as the president at Luminous Health Doctors Community Medical Center and also serving as the chief quality and population health officer for Luminous Health. Um, throughout my career, it has actually not been a traditional career that you may find with lots of other presidents that have just come up through the ranks um, in the hospital setting. I have spent time in um, running a federally qualified community health center. I've spent time as a leader at the National Committee for Quality Assurance, which serves as an accrediting body and um, a performance measurement body, amongst other things, for managed care and other types of organizations. Um, And I've also even served time um, running under CMS contracts, the um, quality improvement programs in Maryland and D.C., working with um, hospitals and home health agencies and skilled nursing facilities and physician organizations. But I have obviously spent some time um, in various health systems, most recently joining Luminous Health when it was then Anne Arundel Medical Center in 2018 and becoming the president of Luminous, of Luminous Health Doctors Community Medical Center in September of 2020. And I, if you, I want to just um, take just another minute or two just to tell people a little bit about Luminous Health because we are a new health system in relative terms um, in that we came together as a, a not-for-profit regional health system was formed in July of 2019 when two independent systems, Doctors Community um, Medical or Hospital, where it was known at that time, um, joined Anne Arundel Health System. But we're very proud that we now have three hospitals, three freestanding, including a behavior health hospital, that we provide care for almost to almost 2 million people in um, over seven counties. Our primary service areas include Anne Arundel County, which is right outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and Prince George's County, which is right outside of Washington, D.C., and then we stretch to the eastern shore and beyond. Um, so we, you know, are, are very... Um, um, committed to our communities, very much a, a central part of our communities, um, and we are here to serve and, and, and really benefit our communities. Thank you so much, Janine, for setting that groundwork for us. I wanted to ask you, I mean, you, you hold a really interesting seat. You are the president of a 210-bed community hospital. You're also the leader of population health at a system level. So it, it seems like you would have this really interesting position of a macro and micro views of both hospital and the operations there and the day-to-day, and then also at a broader level, the population health piece. 
is that the case? Can you help me better understand the range of your work from what's what's the most granular and then what is the most big picture that you have your hands around? Sure. And I'm going to start at the most granular because, you know, every single day, I think that one of my primary responsibilities is to make sure that my team has the tools and the information and everything that they need to provide the best possible quality care that we can to our patients and our community. And so that kind of fits in when we think about our our mission here at, at Luminous Health, because, you know, our mission is around to enhance the health of the people we serve. So that has to start with really empowering and removing barriers and giving people the tools, the resources that they need um, to do their best work, which is what they want to do when they come to work every day. So that can start with just staying, forming that connection. Um, so I'm very much into rounding, connecting, you know, all the way up um, through our, um, our, our frontline staff to our leadership staff, um, being visible. Um, you know, one of the first things that I did when I became the president at Doctors, it was two days in and I showed up at 9 p.m. on a Saturday night and people didn't even know who I was. And I said, you know, expect this going forward because, you know, we're a 24-7 organization and I need to have a pulse on just understanding you know, what happens in those 24 hours and, and what are the priorities that we need to address and what's going well so we make sure that we can continue to support that and not break it. So that's some of the kind of like the on-the-ground work. Um, at, a, at a more macro level, you know, I view my role as the hospital president as really making sure that, once again, that we are meeting the community's needs. So that includes, you know, really understanding you know, what clinical services we're offering, what are the um, unmet needs in the community. We have lots of resources to that. Of course, we have the, um, the community health needs assessment that the county does, other reports, our own market research. How do we expand our reach um, to be able to address those areas of need? How do we provide really personalized care? And our goal is making sure that people can get care close to home and what do we do to not just provide health care, but have an, an impact on improving the health of our region? And then we can't do that alone. So also very, very at that macro level focused on our community connections. Some of those are at the local levels with um, you know, local community leaders. Um, we have a patient family advisory council that assists us in that way. We have a, a community advisory council but it, it stems all the way up to being connected to the business community, being connected to our local state and federal officials um, and legislators. And so it's a, it's a broad kind of reach um, at that macro level that, that I um, really try to focus on on an ongoing basis. And then in my matrix role is also serving as the chief quality and population health officer and I've had an extensive background in quality, so I love doing that work as well. But it really gives me an opportunity to, you know, look at, um, you know, once again, how are we meeting all of the needs, thinking outside of the four walls of the hospital. We, we all in this industry talk about patient-centered care and integrated care, but how do we really make that happen? And how do we also make sure that we are delivering a standard of care? 
um, you know, evidence-based care, every patient getting what they need, um, you know, meeting those quality goals, meeting those safety goals, meeting those patient experience goals. And of course, in today's world, we have a lot of people um, evaluating us from the outside, which I think is a good thing. We need transparency on how hospitals are doing with outcomes, whether it's CMS or health grades or leapfrog or the many, many other, um, you know, joint commission and the many, many other um, layers that we have of public reporting and, and regulatory requirements. Um, so a lot of that falls under my role because a lot of that is focused around quality and patient safety outcomes. So let's just say that I never have a moment to be bored. <laughs> you just described a lot of responsibility, Janine, and also, I mean, in, in a big scope of work, but also identifying and meeting the needs that you can are present right now for your, your people, for the organization, your community, and then also, as you described, anticipating those needs too. What's to come? What do you need to be ahead of before it becomes a bigger problem? Um, which it, it takes a, a dual muscle set to really do that well. Um, you had also mentioned Luminous is, is pretty new. It was formed in July 2019. I was hoping to better understand its market, its patient population. The East Coast can be dense with healthcare providers, reputable systems. What, what's Luminous known for or what do you aim for it to be known for? And, and what would you say is its specialty or niche or how should we think about it? Sure. So I'll um, share a couple of different things. So one, um, just to recap a little bit. So um, we are in the Washington-Baltimore quarter, um, for those who are familiar with the East Coast. So Annapolis, our Anne Arundel Medical Center is really in more in the Baltimore um, market quarter, and Doctors is in a suburb of Washington, D.C., Prince George's County. Our counties are pretty well populated. There's probably close to 700 or so thousand people living in Anne Arundel County, almost a million people in Prince George's County. And as we refer to this area, you hear people local talk about the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia. It really is a region where there's a lot of migration between where people live and work um, between the three jurisdictions. So um, we have, you know, we take care of, a, we, we serve a large patient population. Um, just to give you a, a couple of high-level statistics, you know, we, between our hospitals, um, have over um, 800 total licensed beds. Um, we serve about uh, over 141,000 emergency visits. In fact, Anne Arundel Medical Center is the second largest um, emergency department in the state of Maryland. Um, we have over 32,000 inpatient admissions, over six, almost 7,000 staff members, um, you know, 3,600 plus um, medical staff and an operating revenue of um, almost 1.2 billion. So hopefully that just gives you a little bit of some of those kind of key facts and figures. But, you know, what's really important, I think, is the community that we serve. And it is, you mentioned that on the East Coast, it can be dense with healthcare providers and, and reputable systems. And our markets are a little different right now. So we have to be very cognizant of that um, as we're looking at, you know, where our growth opportunities are and where we, um, where we offer certain services. And of course, now that we're, we've been a system for a few years, we're really looking at also, how do we make sure that we are providing integrated care within and across our system. So um, for example, we have some areas that we really have specialized in, some on both campuses. So we are um, very much connected in with behavior health 
In fact, we opened a freestanding um, behavioral health hospital referred to as the McNew Family Medical Center in our Annapolis market during the pandemic. Uh, so that was quite an accomplishment. And then just this past fall on our Luminous Health Doctors Community Medical Center campus, um, we opened a state-of-the-art 32,000 square foot um, behavior health pavilion that offers a full continuum of ambulatory care, um, as well as a 16-bed inpatient adult unit, psychiatric unit that we just opened a, a few weeks back. And what we are really trying to do is, once again, connect into where the community needs are. And I think we all understand behavior health has always been an area of need. There's access issues, there's fear, there's stigma associated with that care. And, um, you know, those needs as we have experienced, as people have experienced during the pandemic, have even been, you know, become even greater. Um, so we really feel like that's an area that we needed to focus on. Um, so that's an example of how we think about our care. But if I was to say, you know, what are some of our specialty in, in, in niche areas, you know, I think, you know, uh, women's health is another one of those areas. Um, Anne Arundel Medical Center, again, is the second largest birthing hospital um, and delivers over 5,000 births a year. Um, uh, the president here at Anne Arundel Medical Center, Sherry Perkins, frequently says they're, de they're, they're delivering a, a kindergarten class every day is one way to think about that. And we also know that there's great needs for women in Prince George's County, which is the market where Luminous Health Doctors Community Medical Center is located, to get have their needs met as well. And so we just recently submitted a certificate of need to the state to bring obstetrical care to Prince George's County. You know, currently eight out of 10 moms in Prince George's County go outside of the county to deliver their babies. And so we wanna make sure that there's access, that there's quality care, that there's the full continuum of wraparound care as well, from that preconception period all the way through postpartum the year after, um, because we also know, and we serve a very diverse community being in this Washington DC market, and we know that there are huge disparities um, in, in areas that we need to address around maternal mortality and morbidity. Um, so we hope to have that program up pending state approval and, and construction. So it's a few years out, um, but those are other areas that we really are specializing in. And then over broadly, I would just say, um, looking at how we provide care to the community and just inviting the community to really be part of the care team. And, you know, that's something that I would say as healthcare as an industry, we still need to work on a lot. We talk about patient-centered care, um, but how are we really seeing and hearing the consumer's voice? How do we really um, include them as part of the care team um, and not just view them as a patient or a family member, um, but recognize that, you know, they have more information than we do and we need them to be fully invested in the care that we're delivering if we're going to get to great outcomes, um, you know, longer um, years of life, and again, addressing some of the very focused um, disparities and inequities that I think have really been um, brought to the front, the forefront over the last few years, even though they've existed for a long time. So some strides made with behavioral health, with maternal health care and labor and delivery, like you said, Denise. And also, I love yes. the point too, I, I imagine it's so easy for organizations to dwell in data points and analyses and 
things on paper, flowcharts, what have you, but to really get out in the community and frequently and learn from stakeholders and what people really need and want in their own words. So, so critical and important. And it's great yes, that Minnesota is really making a point to do that. Yes. And, you know, I would say that, the, you know, of course, we all wish the pandemic hadn't happened and, <laughs> you know, all the aftermath that came with that. But, you know, when we when I think about um, some of the good things that come out that came out of that, um, I think we need to, to to reflect on that. So, for example, you know, look at the explosion in, in telehealth, um, which created really broadened access for patients during a time when, you know, People, things were being shut down and schools and businesses, um, but we were able to still provide care by really pivoting to that model. And so there's no reason to let that go now. It's, you know, people, certain types of care, I think we've learned well, can be very effectively delivered in that way. Even with mental health, sometimes there's less of a barrier for people um, and they prefer, you know, sometimes for just their confidentiality or other discomfort. Um, to, you know, to meet with a therapist um, via a video call, a secure video call compared to coming in. Um, even with the way that we thought about vaccines, um, we were very much centered in the community and delivered over 120,000 vaccines in our communities. But we did that in partnership with other community partners. We were in churches. We were in the community college. We even went to barbershops and beauty salons so that we could meet people where they were and really, you know, partnered with trusted voices in our community. And those same type of partnerships can help us in addressing disparities, can help us in addressing, you know, diabetes and heart disease and all of these other um, areas where, where we know that there's still so much to do um, in, our, in our country and in our local community. So I, I always say those are some of the good things um, that came out of the pandemic that are in a very positive way influencing, continuing to influence how we connect with the community and provide care. As, as we wind down here, Denine, I wanted to go back to a couple of things you had mentioned in your opening remarks. And one is your background in nursing. The past few years have brought such renewed appreciation for the role of nurses in American healthcare. As a nurse, as a leader with a great amount of historical context over your, your 30 years in the industry, can you talk to me about how you've seen appreciation for nurses ebb and flow? What needs to happen for hospitals in the U.S. to really to better retain and attract nurses? Yeah, um, you know, we had the opportunity. Um, every year we have this opportunity, but, you know, there's a national um, nurses week um, was last week. So we had a lot of additional festivities and things going on. But as I like to say, we have to appreciate our nurses every single day. So I think that. You know, I, as I shared with a group of nurses at doctors and we were having an awards and recognition ceremony, I said to them, and we had a lot of physician colleagues in the room, and I said, you know, nurses really are the heartbeat of the care that we provide in our hospitals. They are the ones at the bedside 24-7. You know, they are there um, when, when, a, when new babies are being born, and they're there um, to hold and comfort patients when they are taking their last breaths and, and making that transition and every step in between. So I think we really have to recognize um, the, that important role that nurses play, as I like to say, really be in the heartbeat of the care that we provide in the hospital. And they, they um, you know, are the glue that works with all of the other 
team members, both clinical members like the physicians and, and, and respiratory therapists and others, as well as the non-clinical team members. But I would say that, you know, I would, as a country, we probably haven't always um, appreciated that role. And, you know, I think once again, when I started off saying I am a nurse and, you know, while I may not be the person you want at the bedside, I still have that context of, you know, what it was like when I was at the bedside and what are some of the additional challenges that nurses have faced in some of the recent years. Of course, we saw that during the pandemic as well, where, you know, they didn't have the luxury of working remote. Um, you know, they were still having to provide care when we were, you know, still didn't have vaccines and, and still learning about, you know, all the different ways of, the, of transmission and all the things we needed to do to protect our nurses. Um, but they never abandoned the patients. They never left the bedside. And our nursing leaders are so important, too, um, in how they can, you know, really supporting. So I think that what we need to do is to um, really understand, um, you know, um, we got to recruit in different ways. Um, we have to be, I think, more flexible. So, you know, some years ago, we many of the hospitals transitioned to 12-hour shifts. And that's a good thing for those nurses that want it. But we're leaving some of the nurses behind when we don't think about perhaps it's that nurse who's now a mom with elementary school kids, and she would love to come in and do a flex shift in the middle of the day while her kids are in school. And what about the nurse who maybe is approaching the end of her career, and maybe she's not up to the stamina of the direct patient care, but could really be one of our stars in a virtual nursing program. So we have all of these opportunities to really, you know, as we think about the life cycle of nurses, the work-life balance that they are looking for, um, the career opportunities that they are looking for, really thinking about how can we design our workforce differently to keep them at the bedside where it's appropriate to give them those um, career opportunities. At doctors, one of the areas we recognize is that we had some gaps in our professional practice model and our, um, you know, our nursing shared governance model. So we've spent a lot of time making sure, similar to how I talked about, we need to keep the voices of the community alive. We need to keep the voices of our nurses alive um, and allow them to really help us in shaping their role and how we deliver care and what that future looks like. And then we have so much work that we can do going down to elementary and middle school um, to really, you know, redefine what nurses, I think sometimes people have a dated view of nurses or they see, they only think about what they see on TV shows. Um, but we have those opportunities to really talk about all of the opportunities and all of the different roles that nurses can have, including like me becoming a president of a hospital. So the sky is the limit when I think about what nurses are capable of. Fun fact, Nina, I spent about, oh gosh, probably five to eight years as a child thinking that I was going to be a nurse. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> And, and, you know, I think probably worked out for the best given my math skills that I did not go into nursing. I went into journalism and writing and communications, but nonetheless, I think you touched on a really important point, which is just ensuring that our young people have inspiring understandings of what nursing can bring in terms of fulfillment, the meaning, how meaningful of a career it is. Um, so that's really important long-term work in, in front of the industry. Yeah, absolutely. What haven't we touched on, Denise, as we wind down that we'd be remiss not to, to make mention of? 
know, one area, maybe I lightly mention it, but I definitely want to bring it back to the forefront. Um, actually, two things really quickly. You know, one is I think that, um, and it's a very good thing that in the last several years, and this kind of gets back into that population health area that I'm responsible for, there's a lot more recognition that it's not just about the clinical care that we provide, but how important it is that we are paying attention, assessing and addressing social determinants of health. And we now, I think, have so much more of a better understanding about where people live, where they work, um, you know, how all of those outside things influence their health care. And that we as healthcare organizations have a role to play in that. You know, if someone is facing food insecurity, you know, that's going to impact their, um, if they're living with a chronic disease like diabetes, that's going to impact the clinical outcomes. Um, if someone has, you know, um, you know, runs out of money before the end of the month and can't buy the foods that they should be eating, that could impact their chronic diseases as well or their ability to get their medication. So we can't just say that patients are being non-compliant and not taking their medicine or not adhering to the treatment plan without really understanding where they may be facing some barriers around social determinants and how we can collectively, working with community partners and other stakeholders, really address those. I think that is, is something that there's a lot of focus on needs to be more. And then the last area I'll just quickly mention is really around um, disparities and, and what we also understand around how racism, structural racism, has also impacted the health outcomes in our country. Um, and we see that, you know, every single day, um, you know, there's, we, we need to be so focused on taking actions to address our workforce diversity um, and, and our leadership diversity um, to address making sure that we are addressing clinical disparities in care, as well as one of the other areas that we're focusing on here at Luminous Health is really addressing supplier diversity. We are large employers. Um, we spend a lot of money on different supplies and whether it's capital or, you know, just food items, medical supplies, day-to-day -day items that we need to provide the care. And we have opportunities to really support our local communities by supporting minority business enterprises, by supporting local um, owned businesses and giving them those opportunities and contributing to the economic engine in our community. So that I think is so important um, that we think about those areas as well. Janine Richmond, President of Luminous Health Doctors Community Medical Center, Chief Quality and Population Health Officer of Luminous Health System. I want to thank you so much for your time, for visiting with me today, Deneen, and, and sharing all of your thoughts with us. You touched on so many important topics, not only for Luminous, but also for the industry at large. So thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you, Molly. It's been great to have this opportunity to chat with you this afternoon.